Hello and welcome to another episode of the County Cricket Podcast in association with our friends at Bear Crickets. I'm your host, Aaron, aka the Cricket Connoisseur, and joining me on my left for today's very special episode of TCCP is none other than Northamptonshire cricket historian, Andrew Rad. So, Andrew, first things first, mate, thank you very much for joining me here on the podcast today. It's an absolute pleasure to welcome you on for a chat about all things county crickets. I have to ask, mate, how has your day been so far? It's been well, not too bad, Aaron, considering it's been snowing here in uh, in Northampton today. So it was four o'clock in the morning, drive into the office and uh, uh, put a shift in. And but it does mean, of course, you, you finish for the day. So I can watch it rain, and uh, and just think that there's four weeks' time. I'm going to be down at Canterbury, um, commentating hopefully on the, on Northamptonshire against Kent. But it doesn't look much like it at the moment. It, it certainly doesn't. For those who don't know what we're referring to. On the day of recording, we are 28 days away from the start of the, the return of the county championship. And here in the UK, it looks like winter, doesn't it, Andrew? Snow, sleet, it, rain. It, it's absolutely vile today. But, um, and in fact, Northamptonshire, got their, they, they start in a pre-season game at Auntage Road in, in about a fortnight. So it is very, very hard. Um, and I see Northamptonshire actually put a picture on social media of the the ground under snow. It's very hard to imagine it at the moment, but um, we'll be there. We'll be there. We will indeed, yeah. Not long to go at all. I'll tell you what, winter's been, it's, it's been long in part, but we're on the right side now, aren't we? It's felt like a very, very long winter. We, we say that every year though, and that's that's the trouble. We always say, oh yeah, it's felt, it's felt like a lot. But this one, for, for a whole host of reasons, I think has, has felt particularly long and difficult. Um, and I think... Uh, you know, all of us who love county cricket, this is a fantastic time of year. It's our Christmas Eve, um, and we always look forward to you know to, to the start of the season. And I personally just feel even more than usual, really just want to get into it. And uh, and I think you know Northamptonshire appetites were wetted very much. I think last year with uh, Northamptonshire for the first time, not just being in Division One but staying in Division One. And uh, the, the club is breaking new ground this year, being in in. Division one of the county championship for a second consecutive season because every time Northamptonshire have gone up before they come straight back down again, well they managed to to, to stay and stay in fairly comfortably in fact last year. So uh, yeah, that's it's it's something different and uh, it's going to be tough in Division one again. But um, you know we're all looking forward to it. David Willie back at the club of course and uh, a couple of other signings. So yeah, it's 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 all good. It certainly is, and it just has the makings of a really interesting season, doesn't it? Across both divisions in the county championship, because you know we've got this this baseball influence now as well. Is that going to change the way in which teams are playing? We've got different bonus point structures as well. Two thousand twenty-three is is looking quite intriguing, isn't it? Across the board, well, it is, and not least because, of course, we don't know at the moment um, what's going to be happening in twenty twenty-four because the uh, there's obviously a lot of Discussion still ongoing about structure and format. It's gone off the. It seems to have gone off the boil a little bit. I mean, last year we were all getting terribly exercised, and there was an awful lot of social media was just buzzing with it, and um, uh, people were. I think we were all getting quite animated and probably getting a little bit overwrought by the the, the whole thing. Um, that's perhaps just died down a little bit, and that's probably not a bad thing. But it doesn't alter the fact that the decisions have still got to be taken, and we still have got to uh, talk about. Um, structure and how many matches and a, a format that is fair to the players, that's fair to to the spectators, fair to all the stakeholders in the game. In fact, 
Um, and I, I've done a few interviews recently with uh, with North Aberdeenshire players, present players, um, and you, you sort of talk to them about structure, and, and all of them, and, and you know, I mean, Rob Keogh is an interesting one because he's obviously been uh, in the county scene for a long time, um, great, great stalwart of, of the North Aberdeenshire side, uh, and he said, you know, it, it, it is very, very difficult to say what's the right way to do. We we, we as players have a view but equally we can see the point of view of, of those that, um, that that pay to come and watch um, and they obviously want to watch the sort of cricket they want to watch when they want to watch it uh, so it's it's very very difficult um, I just hope that whatever they decide um, we just stick with it it just seems as though we chop and change so much and um, I was I'm old enough to remember you're not but I'm old enough to to remember that the, you know when I first started watching County cricket in the early seventies, when it was it was very simple because you just have Saturday start, Wednesday start, um, Sunday league, um, then you sort of scatter in your 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 B and H and your your Gillette Cup or, or Matt West as it became you know throughout the season, um, and it it was fairly easy to work out if if today was Friday it was the third day of a championship match. Not easy to do that now looking at the diary for the coming season. It's uh, it, it's it's hard, and uh, I, you know I just hope that, that that we can come up with a a formula that works for everybody. I I don't think that's necessarily possible, but works for as many people as possible anyway. And that's the key, isn't it? There will have to be some compromise at, at some stage, and yeah, that will be very interesting, won't Absolutely. it? See how things pan out over the course of this season, and how that does affect the future yeah, of the counter cricket right. schedule. Again, that in itself is a podcast episode entirely that is a debate which will wage on for for many a month many a year as you can probably imagine but today actually we aren't talking about either the 2023 championship or indeed the future of the county championship as a competition instead this is yet another part of our county cricket heritage series and i've got to say i love this series and this episode will be a testament to that because you find out so many incredible tidbits of information about the the rich history of the counties that exist in in the tournament that we know today in the county championship and for today's episode i brought andrew on no better guest to talk about a very very special team in county cricket's history and that is the northamptonshire team of 1912 now for this episode we have gone a little bit off track in comparison to the previous episodes in which we've discussed county championship victors the likes of warwickshire in 1911 for example derbyshire in 1936 and Glamorgan in 1948 because as of this recording in 2023 who knows things could change soon Andrew but <laughs> Northants unfortunately haven't won the county uh, championship don't With rub that it to <laughs> I did say you never know you never know in the future cricket's a funny game that's right no, true enough could be 2023 for all we know and we could be looking back on this episode and going that was the moment when Aaron cursed it but in in, <laughs> in terms of the in terms of the team of 1912, this is a different team, but it's also a fascinating team because although they didn't lift the county championship like the other teams, what they achieved over the course of that season for 12 individuals was nothing short of brilliance. It was an outstanding team and some of the characters were incredibly fascinating. So, Andrew, before we discuss the, the season performances and we get into a, a deeper dive, a greater insight into the characters who made up that team. I suppose we have to take a look at the early history of North Ants in the county championship as we know it, because before 1905, 
when the county entered the tournament, they'd been in the minor counties championship, they'd had success in that tournament. But it's safe to say that their early runnings in the county championship weren't exactly successful, were they? No, I mean, the thing is, Aaron, that in Northamptonshire's early seasons in, in the county championship, the only consistent thing was their inconsistency. Um, but they had, a, they had a decent first year. They, they won a couple of games. Um, they beat uh, Derbyshire uh, famously at, at, uh, at Northamptonshire to, to start the ball rolling, their first victory in, in first-class cricket. And uh, you, I think one or two people felt a little bit bad at the time because Derbyshire had been one of the, one of the counties that had actually guaranteed fixtures. Was, of course, in those days, at Northamptonshire, in order to make the, the jump up in 1905, needed to get 12 matches, six uh, opponents, home and away. And uh, that was easier said than done. I mean, some counties um, were a bit uh, a bit sniffy. Um, let's just say Middlesex didn't play Northamptonshire for 25 years. We didn't play them until 1930. Um, but uh, Derbyshire, one of those that, that very early came on board and said, yeah, good on you. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll give you a game. And then, of course, the, the reward they got was to be beaten. But um, Northamptonshire, you look at 1906, second season, and... They pulled off, I think, what I would regard as being one of their greatest victories. They beat Worcestershire uh, after following on um, at, at New Road early on in the in the nineteen oh six season, with with Charlie Poole, one of the, the great unsung, almost forgotten heroes of Northamptonshire cricket, making one hundred and sixty six, which I personally think is a very strong um, case for being the best innings played for Northamptonshire in first-class cricket. There's a, a few rivals since, but uh, it's certainly got to be up there. Um, so, you know, some, some, yep, some, some terrific performances. Beat Lancashire in 1908 by one wicket. Um, the drop catch by Harry Makepeace running in and Dave Hardy and and uh, Bumper Wells in there at the end. Um, but on the other hand, I mean, you look at 1907, bowled out for 12 famously, infamously. Um, by Gloucestershire uh, at Gloucester and um, bowled out, you know, twice in a day by Colin Blythe. Uh, Seventeen wickets Blythe took in a day uh, for Kent. And 1908 bowled out for, for 27 and 15 by Yorkshire. So, you know, they they had some highs, they had some lows. It was only really in 1909, and if you look for the the sort of the turning point that almost started them off on the road to what happened. As, as you say, in 1912, probably 1909, they made a poor start to the season. Um, and, and it was one of those, the local newspapers were starting to get a bit jumpy because there'd also been a player's strike at the start of 1909. The, some of the players, had, so they, were, they weren't going to sign the day book that they had to sign to go in and bowl at the members. And it was Charlie Poole, actually, the aforementioned, who um, brokered a deal between the professionals and, and the committee. Um, but they made a poor start to the season. And then they beat Hampshire by one wicket. Again, a very tight game. Um, and that just presumably gave them a bit of confidence. And they finished at winning six in a row, um, which you know still stands as one of the, one of the best runs of, of, uh, of, of victories in, in Northamptonshire's first-class career. Um, 1910, they beat Yorkshire for the first time, which was a huge thing at the time um, up at Sheffield. And um, Tubby Viles, who I'm, I'm sure we'll be talking about in a moment, uh, he made a, a hundred again, which must rank as one of the you know one of one of the best innings. So, 1911 again, you see Northamptonshire played Warwickshire in the match, and you you mentioned obviously Warwickshire, and then you've talked about that that, uh, that team of 1911, um, but they won the championship at Northampton, 
and uh, it, it sounded like a, a bit of a junket afterwards. The champagne was ordered, and um, the celebrations I think went on quite long into the into the day because the match finished fairly early on in the on the third day. And um, I think it was Viles again who made the point. Well, you know, let's hope that it's our turn next year because Northampton should look very much at, at that victory of Warwickshire as a, as a bit of a a sign, a bit of a, a precedent that, yeah, it, you could break out of that sort of magic circle of counties that had dominated for so long. And Northampton just said, okay, Warwickshire can do it, we can do it. Now, I think probably when they saw, you know, Vile saying, well, it could be our turn next year, I don't think many people probably would have taken it um, too seriously. But, um, you know, but for a day's rain, and again, I'm sure we'll, we'll come on to that shortly, but, but for one day's rain in 1912, it could have been Northamptonshire winning the championship. It certainly could have been. And again, it's a, it's a magnificent tale. It really is. It's an incredible story behind this team because you've got to understand as well, that is a massive rise, isn't it? From 1905, well, well, we'll say 1904 technically because they weren't even in the county championship at that point. You mentioned the struggles and the strifes of the late 1900s heading into the 1910s and this team, almost out of nowhere, suddenly became title contenders. It really is a fantastic rise to prominence for this it North is. And I, think, I was going to say, Aaron, I think the other, the other person that we, you know, I'm conscious of not wanting to forget anybody, and, and the one person we mustn't forget, even though he didn't appear on the field in 1912, in fact, he only ever appeared in, in the first-class cricket once, but that's Lord Lilford, who mm -hmm. was president of, of Northamptonshire. And, and quite simply, if it wasn't for him, Northamptonshire would not have been a first-class county because they, they couldn't have bankrolled it, they couldn't have afforded it, and they wouldn't have stayed a first-class county again because they couldn't have afforded it. I think um, Wisden said on one occasion that uh, finance has always been a weak point with the club, which is typical Wisden understatement. Um, you know, you have to think, e even in 1914, after 1912 and after Northamptonshire had done so well and when they were you know, accepted, I think, at, at the top table, um, Lilford had to had to you know divvy up five hundred quid um, to actually see the get them through the season. Um, I don't think uh, you know many other counties have had quite such a hand to mouth existence. But you know you have to say with Lord Lilford, he was a, a wonderful man of cricket. Played one first class match in nineteen eleven against All India um, when I think they felt that because the Indian touring side was managed by uh, a captain by a Maharaja. That they probably needed to, uh, you know, up the social ante a little bit. So Lilford, at the age of what would he have been then, forty-eight, made his one and only first-class appearance. Um, but you know, we'll talk about obviously the, the players. But you have to say that Lilford and and Pat Darnell as well, who was the secretary. Um, I, I was saying when I wrote my biography of, of George Thompson that, you know. Thompson, yes, batted and bowled Northamptonshire into first-class cricket, but if it hadn't been for the the energy and organisation of Darnell uh, and the social clout and generosity of Lilford, um, it wouldn't have matter how good Thompson or any other of the players were, Northamptonshire wouldn't have been able to to reach and remain a, a first-class county. So let's let's give them a name check early on. Well, Andrew, you've just taken the words out of my mouth. That was my next question about the Baron Lilford, the fifth Baron, to be specific, John Powis, the, the club president, wasn't he, between 1903 to 1921. So I, I'm really glad that you gave me a bit more insight because he is an interesting character. And obviously, when we talk about county cricket, we focus mainly on the players, but we, we see this a lot in, in early county cricket history. 
there are certain unsung heroes, aren't there? I think of William Ansell, for example, for Warwickshire. Yes. He kept us afloat, as did the Secretary Roland Ryder. So without guys like the Baron Lilford and without Pat Darnell, again, North Ants, as we know it as a club, might not exist. So I'm glad, I'm glad that you mentioned those guys. Now, Lilford, I mean, I have a soft spot for, for, for Lord Lilford, not least because um, he, he played before he uh, succeeded his father in, in, in the, the title. Uh, he played in, played for my club, Arundel Town in, in Northamptonshire. And uh, he was such an enthusiast that apparently he used to wander around. He usually had a cricket ball in his pocket and he just, you know, been throwing it around to get a bit of get a bit of practice in. Um, but obviously, as he got older, he became a little bit rotund and there was a a rhyme that they used to recite at Wellingborough School when he used to go and play his, his you know, for his own Lord Lilford's eleven, about Lord Lilford being round as a pea. Um, you know, but fair enough. Uh, he also, um, you know, we talk about him, his connection with Northamptonshire, but he also was one of the great supporters of country house cricket, which obviously has long since disappeared, but he used to have his own team at Lilford Hall and um, there are some wonderful accounts of matches there you you had luncheon it wasn't lunch it was luncheon um, and if you if you were particularly uh, good and made a hundred or something or, or took five wickets then you would get um, uh, not a you know a car or anything you would get a, a rosy red apple grown from uh, from Lord Lilford's own own orchard from his own hand he would give you one of these rosy red apples but of course the other thing was if you didn't if you were late you didn't play again without it unless you were late without a very good reason um what what's slightly sad about lilford in many respects is that he as you say was president until 1921 and he was ousted in as was darnell they both went at the same time in a bit of a bit of a coup um, engineered by by Stephen Shalitzi, who was again a very generous benefactor of the club, and uh, through the, the depression years, he kept the club afloat. Um, but it was unfortunate that it it, it had to that their their tenure had to end in, in fairly unpleasant circumstances. Although Lilford remained in, remained involved, um, and his as I'm sure you'll be aware, and his, his obituary didn't appear in Wisden in 19. We died in 1945, just uh, after the end of the war, um, and. For many many years, his obituary was never noted in Wisden, and thankfully, my my, my friend and um, co-author of the official history of the club, Matthew Engel, when he became editor of Wisden, one of his first acts was to make sure that Lilford got his obituary in Wisden. It was nearly half a century late, but he got in, and uh, yeah, they, he was a, a wonderful chap. And Pat Darnell also um, uh, very well known in this part of the, the world, of course, because he was one of the founders of Northampton Town Football Club. Cobblers and uh, Borough Coroner for for forty years. Um, used to walk around in in his sort of Victorian frock coat and top hat well into the into the fifties. He died in what nineteen fifty five, and it was said that the only time he didn't wear a top hat was at the cup final, um, out of consideration for those who'd be sitting behind him. So he, he would wear a cloth cap at the FA Cup final, but otherwise. Uh, well into the you know well into the 1950s he was walking around like a like a victorian gent um, extraordinary man certainly was in fact the pair of them they are just integral aren't they to keeping north ants afloat in those early days because this is something which obviously in the modern era we can't quite understand just how how difficult the finances of counts cricket were back then but without the the benefactors of some of these clubs they would have gone under what a decade into their existence wouldn't they let's face it they weren't 
as financially viable organizations as as we see them today so we did have to mention those guys and honestly andrew again this is why i love this series it's for information like that you know you, you can't find that on on an article you can't find that on a wikipedia page that local knowledge it's <laughs> it's fascinating it really is well it was Lil, i mean lilford um when north Aberdeen were, were uh, approved for first class status at the end of 1904 uh, he set up the, the Lord Lilford County Cricket Funds to, to try and, you know, make sure that it actually happened. And uh, one, one of my favourite stories of, of, of Lilford's, that, that era with Lilford, was that they uh, they decided that they had to have a, a new press box and scorer's box because uh, um, they hadn't really got a proper one at the, at the ground. Um, and it's what's now known as the signal box. And it's, it's the, the, the last bit of that, sort of pre-1914 county ground that's still there uh, even though it's been sort of tarted up from time to time but the, the, the actual structure is still the same but the, the committee at the, the time because it was um there was a separate committee the county ground company because it was a limit it was a set up as a company uh, in 1886 and um, they weren't absolutely sure that they should be spending money on the press um or or indeed the scorers um and it only got passed on the committee's uh, the, the chairman's casting vote and it cost them 72 quid in 1904 um and the many of the journalists who uh, who had the misfortune to have to try and report cricket from side on uh, in there we we've moved now but uh, they they felt that if it was 72 quid the, the club was done because it it wasn't really worth that but uh, but it's still there and again it's a lovely part of the the heritage isn't it of Northamptonshire as a county cricket club and again without getting into the wider debate because this could be another podcast topic entirely for the detractors of of clubs like Northampton and Derbyshire you, you do have to understand that these counties even though they might not have 30 odd county championship titles they might not be dominating county cricket right now have got such an illustrious tapestry of history behind them and it's stuff like that again it just makes you makes me smile to be honest it makes me happy that there is still part of the history of that club still very much at the ground so again Andrew fascinating to hear and obviously that committee definitely do deserve a lot of plaudits for their efforts in keeping the club viable over the course of the early 1900s but aside from the committee then and the likes of Lilford and Darnell we have to discuss the players and first and foremost we have to talk about the captain of this side who Shares a similar surname to me. His is spelt slightly different. Yeah. B-I-A-L-S. But George Viles, Tubby, as he was nicknamed. And I love exploring the characters of each of these sides. So, Andrew, what can you tell me about George Viles? Not just the cricketer, but also the character. What was he like as a person? And more importantly, I suppose, what was he like as a captain on that cricket field? He was an extraordinary man. I, I mean... He in a sense he was born into the club because his father um th viles thomas henry viles uh, had been secretary and, and treasurer way way back in in the 1880s so i suppose in, in a sense he had no choice but to but to be involved but you know it's wonderful what you were just saying about the the, the sort of tapestry let's just think about tubby viles's contribution because he made his um debut for northamptonshire in 1904 last season of minor counties cricket when he was 17 and he was still involved and taking an interest in the club in the 1970s you know he he just he just failed it he died in i think 1974 off the top of my head um so he just about missed out on packer 
but he wasn't far off. Uh, and I, he was still involved on the committee. He, he'd held just about every office in the club, chairman, chairman of the selection committee and so on. Uh, I think he, he stood down in 1968. But he was involved in, you know, in the club through seven decades. Um, and so son of a solicitor uh, who became a solicitor himself um, and practiced in, in Northampton for, for many, many years and was very well known as, as such. Terrific all-round sportsman. Not just a cricketer, um, talented footballer, superb hockey player by all accounts. His his Achilles heel of, was was his knee, if you'll pardon the sort of mixed metaphor, because he had a he had some ongoing knee trouble, and, and in the end, it finished his his uh, county cricket career during the nineteen thirteen season. We talked about that hundred he made against Yorkshire at Sheffield in nineteen in nineteen ten. He very nearly didn't play because he was he's struggling with his knee, and they actually sent somebody else up to. To deputise, and he said, "Oh no, it's all right. I'll I'll give it a go." And you know, uh, the rest, as they say. But um, so he was a he was a great man in terms of his passion for the club. Um, as a captain, um, <laughs> my favourite story stems from this nineteen twelve season with with Viles. Was um, they played Surrey at Northampton? Bearing in mind, Surrey was you know again one of the counties that had you know humiliated Northamptonshire time and again in their early seasons in, in County Creek. Some ridiculously one-sided games. Um, and in 1912, um, Surrey came to Northampton. They were 86 for one, good start. Um, and then they lost nine wickets for nine runs, and they're all out for 95. And um, Northamptonshire uh, managed to get a decent lead on, on the first, by the close of the first day. Not least because Viles wanted to go to his friend's wedding the following morning, so he put himself up the order. had a bit of a had a bit of a thrash. Made eighty two, um, and took Northamptonshire well into the lead, and they you know never never relinquished that that grip, and they and they won the match comfortably. Um, so I think there's a, there's a sort of sort of Edwardian insouciance about uh, about Viles, um, and. You know, he he was he, he played his last game, you know, in the nineteen twenties. Um, and but for his knee, I'm sure he would have played a lot more and would have scored a lot more runs. But um, an extraordinary man, and and you, he had a, a house in Park Avenue South, near Abington Park. Um, so you know, within walking distance of the of, of the county ground, he was just one of those men steeped in Northamptonshire cricket and. Um, yeah, as you say, the one one of the unsung heroes, but he could so easily have been the man who who won the, the championship for Northamptonshire for the first time. And I'm sure you you've probably seen there's a famous photograph taken um, in 1965 after Northamptonshire again finished second, and there are the the three captains who then I mean, Mushtaq Mohammed became a fourth, but there were the three captains who led Northamptonshire to second place in the table as Toby Viles, Keith Andrew, and Dennis Brooks. And um, you know he was—he desperately wanted to see Northamptonshire win the title. Somebody go one better than him. Sadly, it, it, as you say, it didn't happen. But uh, um, in terms of involvement, I mean, the, the days when you know if people spend more than three years with one county, now it's—it's it's, you know they get a lot of long service award. Um, and dear old Tubby Viles was there for for the best part of seventy years. Yeah, as you said, it was quite the affinity, wasn't it, between Viles and the county? of Northamptonshire and by all accounts from what I've read the material 
that I've used for the research for this podcast. He was a beloved member of the club, an excellent cricketer, and also a very cool and, and calm captain as well, which I think is very it's very important, isn't it, on the cricket field to, to have that almost reserved temperament and that ice-cool nature. So he is an interesting chap, isn't he? It is, and, and I think the other point that it's worth making about Viles is that um, obviously we're talking about the days of amateur captains, and the thing about Toby Viles was, as, as we've discussed with his, his 100 against um, Yorkshire and so on, he was worth his place in the side. Even if he'd, be, you know, if he'd been a professional, he would have been worth his place in the side. Um, not the captains, and absolutely no disrespect, they were a wonderful group of men who, who led the, the team in those early seasons of first-class cricket. Tom Horton, had done the job for so long, um, but you know the first two seasons of county championship cricket, he was still in charge. But he was getting on a bit by then, by his own admission, he was a bit ponderous in the field, and you know he didn't do really do himself justice. Uh, Eddie Cross, um, captain famously with the twelve all out, um, a member of the, the the family that gave us Cross and Blackwell, um, but again, not you know not a fantastic cricketer. Tim Manning, a wonderful stalwart of the club, like like Viles, a long, long involvement going well into the into the seventies, but um, you know, not a not an absolute front rank cricketer. Uh, and so Viles, in a sense, was the first of the, of Northamptonshire's first class captains, county championship captains, who was really worth his place in the side as a as a player and and proved it. Well he certainly did and we'll discuss the season in due course, but he did finish as the club's leading run scorer as well in 1912, yeah. finishing with 650 runs, so very much worth his place in that side. But talking of the 1912 County Championship then, Andrew, I think that's a nice place to pick up our discussion about the performances of this side, and we can take a, a greater, deeper dive into, again, some of the other characters that were present in that side. Because for the opening game of the season, which was a draw against Surrey at the Oval, Viles actually wasn't there, was he? He was absent for the fixture. And in his place, a certain Sidney Smith captained the side. Now, Sidney Smith is a really interesting cricketer. And I first saw his name in the research for the Warwickshire podcast because he was known as a massive, massive threat on the on the sticky wickets at Wantage yes. Road. So what can you tell me about Sidney Smith, a man who has a career almost divided into three parts? What was he like as a character, Andrew? Smith, I mean, Smith's a fascinating, he's a fascinating cricketer, and and um, I, I think somebody has, uh, I think um, one of our friends in New Zealand has written a book about him, and, and there's certainly there's a book there, I think, to be done. Um, he was Northamptonshire's first overseas player. Uh, he was he was a, a, of Anglo-Scottish parentage, but he was he was born in Trinidad. He was working for um, the I think the, the Trinidad Public Works Department or something like that in Port of Spain, and um, um, came across with. The West Indies side in 1906, and uh, Thompson, George Thompson, had, had played against him um, on Lord Brackley's tour in 1904-5 to to West Indies, and had come back and said, "This chap is handy," um, and so Northamptonshire took an interest in him, and eventually they 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 signed him, and he came uh, to Castle Station in Northampton in April 1907. Couldn't believe how cold it was. Um, was was there's a wonderful article about him playing, I think, against something like the Kettering Church Institute because he had to qualify by residence. He couldn't just go straight into the championship. He wasn't eligible for championship cricket until 1909, and so he had to play for the club and ground against all sorts of weird and wonderful teams. The Kettering Church Institute being one of them, huddled over the fire at the, the county ground against the 
the chill of an English spring, which he certainly wasn't used to. But by 1909, uh, he made such an impact on county cricket, left-handed batsman, uh, slow left armour, that it was rumoured that Lord Hawke, uh, who was chairman of the England selectors, and you'll remember England went through a lot of players in 1909, um, including George Thompson, of course, he played his, his one and only home test in, in that series. Um, Hawke was prepared to overlook his uh, uh, West Indian uh, origins and the fact that he'd actually played representative cricket, although not test cricket for the West Indies. Um, and, you know, think, well, should we be picking him for England? He didn't. But it was it was quite there were lots of newspaper articles suggesting that it you know it might not be a bad idea, um, but he then had you know wonderful run of, of seasons with Northamptonshire uh, up until the First World War, um, and then when the war broke out, he by which time he was captain of the club as well. He'd succeeded Viles as they had to pull out through injury midway through the 1913 season. Um, he went up. He emigrated to New Zealand and was still playing then. Um, first-class cricket in New Zealand in the, into the, the 1920s and, again, played representative cricket for New Zealand. So he played representative cricket for West Indies and New Zealand and could have done for England as well, which would be makes him more than, I think, an interesting footnote in, in cricket history, but a, a hugely talented player. And, of course, around that time, you've got um, routinely uh, Smith playing for the gentleman, because he was a, an amateur, uh, in theory at least, and um, Thompson playing for the professionals, so gents players, you'd have they trundle off together, and um, well, they're probably not on, not in the same part of the train, and um, uh, and play against each other. But a wonderful cricketer, um, and as you say, probably deserves to be rather better remembered than he is. He definitely does, because again, I'd only heard of him recently. As I said, as a result of the research for the for the Warshire podcast, I hadn't actually heard of him before that, and. Yeah, he had such a, a, a fascinating life story, being born in the West Indies, playing representative cricket in the region, coming over to England. In his first season for Northants as well, I did just find this out from my research, he scored 833 runs in his first county championship yeah. season. That is absolutely <laughs> phenomenal, isn't it? Well, it is considering that Northampton, because you know, Northampton didn't play as many games as some of the other counties, because um, not as many people wanted to play Northamptonshire, basically, as uh, 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 you know, as, as, as some of the other clubs. So, and I mean, he, yeah, he, he was a, a hugely, in, you know, important figure in in that side, and you know, it, it's it's fascinating when you think that Smith Smith was such a sort of a bridge because he, you know, he played he played with Thompson, and then he was playing. By the time he'd, he'd gone across to to New Zealand, he finished up um, playing, I think, against Archie McLaren's team, and they went there in the in the early nineteen twenties. So he, he, you know, he, he, his career touched a lot of the a lot of the greats. Um, and you know, Smith, we we talk about nineteen twelve, and one again, one of the key matches was the game against Kent, when you know, it could all have gone horribly pear shaped, and Northamptonshire, I think, were chasing two twenty four to win fairly early in the season. Um, and, and Colin Blythe, who, as I mentioned, had to take 17 wickets in a day against them five years earlier, uh, nipped a couple out early on and um, you know, could easily have, have, have just fallen apart there and then. And Smith went in, made 118, um, which I think he felt, um, some of the, the, the reports I've read, he felt was probably one of his, his best innings, given the context, given the opposition. Um, and he made 118 and Northamptonshire won. And again, it sort of got the, got the season going. So... Uh, a wonderful, wonderful cricketer. 
Well, he was. And again, I, I, I just feel as though he probably does need a little bit more recognition. And that, again, is, is why I love this podcast, because we can shine a greater light on some of these cricketers who who maybe have just become a footnote in, in Cow's cricket's history. And yet they had such a lasting legacy and such interesting stories. I always find it brilliant to kind of, you know, shine the light on them. And, and Sidney Smith is definitely a worthy example of that. I mean, by the end of his career at Northampton, she scored 6,396 runs, including 12 centuries, and took 502 first-class wickets. So a legend of the county in every single sense of the word. And Andrew, you mentioned those performances. Again, let's take it back to the season itself in 1912. So we've discussed the draw against Surrey at the Oval. This was followed by a seven-wicket victory over Essex in Leighton on the 18th of May. Then the very next game, a nine-wicket victory over Leicestershire at Wantage Road, in which the next protagonist makes his appearance, George Thompson. <laughs> Arguably, in many people's eyes, the greatest player Northamptonshire have ever produced, and there are countless reasons why. So, Andrew, what can you tell me about George <laughs> Thompson and the legacy that he has oh, had dear. on Northamptonshire County Cricket Club? How long have you got, Aaron? Um, he... All day. Thompson... <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, first of all, I ought to declare an interest, as, as they would say in the Commons, because I, I, I did write um, write a biography of Thompson that came out um, a year or two back. And so, yes, I, I'm, I'm absolutely fascinated by him and, and, uh, and his career. First thing to say about George Thompson, um, copper-bottomed local hero. I mean, he was born in Northampton. Um, and I think it's interesting, isn't it, you say about the, the best player that Northamptonshire produced. I suppose the other... The other Rivals would be David Capel, um, you know, great friend of many of us, and we lost him so, you know, so tragically young, um, and Graham Swan. Um, but you know, Graham obviously went off and, and did wonderful things for for, for Nottinghamshire. Um, Thompson and Capel were both one club men, so you know that's that that's that's terrific. Um, Thompson had quite an interesting start in life in that he um, went to a public school and finished up, which was Wellingborough, and finished up turning professional. He's one of the first to do. I think Teddy Diver might have been the only other one of that of that time, possibly one or two others, but it was quite a rarity. And he had a rough start in life. His his, his um, mother died when he was uh, only 12. Um, and within weeks, and you think, you know, the grieving process that we would appreciate now is is necessary. Within weeks, he was sent off to boarding school. <laughs> By, by his father, who, who was, a, again, a, an interesting character in that he kept a pub. He was um, a commission agent, which in, in sort of uh, real, you know, modern money is a, is a bookie. Uh, and he was, uh, you know, frequented race meetings around, uh, around the race course in Northampton and, and other places. And Thompson himself was born within a, um, almost a sort of a, a cricket ball's throw of the race course in, in Louise Road. So Thompson batted and bowled Northamptonshire into first-class cricket. It was his, we talked about Thompson, we talked about Darnell, we talked about Lilford, but on the field, Thompson's all-round efforts basically got Northamptonshire into first-class cricket. Billy East was was the other man, obviously, his sort of long time. I've always thought of him very much as the sort of the Sancho Panza to, to Thompson's Don Quixote. Um, but Thompson by 1912, was an England player. He played test cricket for England, played um, home test against Australia at Edgbaston in 1909. He toured South Africa that 
following winter with uh, Lucian Gore and, and played all, all five Test matches. So he was a he was he was an acknowledged front rank cricketer. Um, quite prickly. I, I've often thought when I was when I was writing the book about him, you know, would I have liked him? Um, I think I would because of what he achieved, and he was a he was a local boy. I mean, I you know I was I was born about a mile away from him in Northampton. Um, but he he could be a bit prickly. He had a, he had a sort of slightly sledgehammer sense of humour, I think, at times. But um, a great, great man, and you know, when you think that he played around the world at a time when you know traveling, global travel was obviously very difficult. He had early tours in West Indies, went to Australia, to New Zealand with with um, Plum Warner, um, and South Africa, and all the time being probably the worst sailor in the world. He suffered from appalling seasickness and everywhere he went he was ill um and it was it almost sort of led to his, his demise because in 1910 and during the south african tour he um was under the weather uh, and they thought he you know, was just just rem, you know remnants of the, of the sea voyage and it turned out he was actually quite seriously ill he'd got um uh, a sort of grumbling appendix and they they wanted to uh Put him under the knife and he said i'm not going under the knife because if i go under the knife this was in kimberley i think in south africa I'm, I'm not sure quite what the outcome will be and in any case i won't be able to play anymore on the tour and he wanted to play so they sweated him out of it with hot poultices in kimberley where it was sort of mid-30s celsius um sweated presumably anything any you know impurities out of him and um he was not well for the, the the first part of the tour, but he he you know, picked up later and um, and was one of England's most consistent players in that series, along with along with the young Jack Hobbs. So Thompson was, I think, um, and and this is no disrespect to 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 David Cable, who's a very dear friend, but I, I think for what he for what he achieved in terms of, uh, you know, in isolation almost and in terms of context uh, for me thompson was northamptonshire's great the, the greatest homegrown cricketer that northamptonshire have had well to be honest andrew i would have to agree with that because performances and anecdotal evidence is one thing but again stats are a wonderful thing in the game of cricket aren't they and you look at his statistics for north Ants, the club's joint second leading all-time first class wicket taker alongside valence jupp with 1000 and 78 wickets for Northampton. <laughs> but in addition to that, one of the craziest stats which I looked at, and this is, again, why I love the research of this podcast. If you look at Northamptonshire's leading first-class wicket-taker between 1905 and 1913, there's only one name for every single season. Yes. Who is the player in question? George Thompson. GJT. It's funny, actually, you say that, because I, I was doing some, some figures recently, just, just by way of prepping for the for the new season, as you do. You know, you get all your all your figures up to date, and so that when you're commentating, you've you know, hopefully got everything at your, fing at your fingertips. Um, and I was just updating the list of, of most five-wicket halls, five or more wickets in the innings for North Aperture and first-class cricket. Um, and Ben Sanderson, you know, wonderful bowler, and again, you know, the... the, the, the Part of North Aperture's attack for, for a season or two now, or many in the last five or six seasons. Um, and I think he's got 16 fifers, which is you know wonderful tally. Um, but I, I said he's got a little way to go. Thompson's uh, on 102. Uh, 102 five or more weeks. But then again, you have to remember that he pretty much bowled for 
five, six seasons, pretty much bold unchanged. <laughs> he was on at one end. I mean, it was, it was the famous comment of Tom Hortons when he was, I think he was captain for 10 years, uh, including the first two seasons in the championship. And he said, um, uh, changing the bowling was was uh, you know working out the bowling options was never difficult because he started off with uh, Thompson and East and by way of variety he switched to East and Thompson. Um, so Thompson he got through a I mean he got through a ridiculous amount of work and, and again you think well he missed you know he missed the first World War years as well and he, he came back and after a, a life threatening illness he you know, he very nearly didn't pull through. Um, in the, uh, the, the the Spanish flu outbreak in at the end of 1918, uh, and he wasn't able to play county cricket again until 1921, and then came back and had a couple of seasons, and you know, sadly was was not really able to, to to cut it, certainly not with the ball. But you know he was still a force in 1914, although the body I think was starting to protest a little bit, not surprisingly. But he missed out on you know potentially. Four more seasons of, of, of you know, more seasons that have lots of wickets. And uh, if you add up how many wickets he took in first class cricket and add the minor counties wickets, uh, he's so far ahead of anybody else in the club's history. So he's something he's pushing 1900 wickets. Um, so he's so far ahead of anybody else. Um, it, it's, it's almost, you know, almost ridiculous, really. Yeah, it is. I think that's a good way of describing it, isn't it? Ridiculous, insane baffling to be honest how someone could be so consistent but again we, we do see performers like that in county cricket and yeah George Thompson certainly was one of those just an extraordinary extraordinary servant to North Ants as a club and in 1912 as well unsurprisingly the club's leading wicket taker in first class cricket with 106 wickets so you could, could almost you could almost take that as uh, take that as red I think yeah, to be honest, I think at this point, when you're looking at it, what is that, nine consecutive seasons? That isn't even including the minor counties either, in which, as you said, he dominated with bat and ball. It's just, it's ridiculous, isn't it? It, it is, it is, Aaron, and, and it's one of the reasons why um, I was ple you know, so pleased to get the chance to, to, to do a, a proper biography of him, because yeah, he's a serious figure in, in, in county cricket, and, uh, uh, you know, he, he hadn't... It's sort of mentioned, obviously, in 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 books about Northamptonshire, and as a bit of a footnote, having had a, a, a relatively short Test career, but um, his impact on on you know one of the eighteen first class counties is uh, is almost incalculable. And I have to say, when we were doing the when we launched Northamptonshire's Hall of Fame uh, about five years ago now, um, it wasn't difficult to uh, to work out at least the first one who was going to be in it um and there's nothing more you know fitting that uh, when northamptonshire played their first championship match at hampshire southampton 1905 uh you know he, he he faced the first ball he bowled the first ball uh and when we came to do the player numbers you know the the uh, according to their appearances I took an executive decision, far outstripping my uh, my sort of pay grade, and, um, and I had really no right to do it. But uh, I said Thompson has got to be number one, although you have you know usually alphabetical. George Thompson is Northampton's number one, and once you said that, I think you said it all. He certainly is, and for any Northampton fans tuning in to today's episode of the podcast, honestly, just research this guy. Maybe buy the book as well. Buy yourself, Andrew because he is a fascinating character. He is a legend of the club. We've said it, we could wax lyrical about him all day, couldn't we? He lived a, a, a great life. He was a marvellous cricketer. 
And again, in, in 1912, he just was this this key cog, wasn't he? A key component of the success of this side. Well, you've got, the, you've got I suppose, the three main bowlers that season. You know, Thompson, as, as you mentioned, um, Smith, who we, we've talked about. Billy East, by that stage, was, was you know, getting on a bit. Uh, he, was, he was 40. Um, he was not in the best of health. And, and sadly, he didn't make old bones. He died... Uh, in 1926, when he was uh, when he was 54, and Thompson was one of the pallbearers at his funeral, which is just so fitting. Um, but Bumper Wells, of course, was the was uh, was the other the other one that we you know we need to talk about. And uh, again, you talk about characters. My goodness, he must have been he must have been great fun to be around. Um, Jim Coldham, who wrote the first history of of North Aperture cricket back in the in the 50s. Um, wonderful phrase. Uh, he said he had the traditional fast bowlers failing for pints. Um, I think he liked to drop the the, the, the bumper. And it, it's great, and it gives you an idea of how county cricket has changed um, during that 1912 season. In the middle of a you know a run for the championship, um, Wells decided to use one of the rest days, but to play for for Northamptonshire Publicans, the licensed Vittlers Eleven against their Leicestershire counterparts and a, a match that was described as a, a great success as a social occasion. And he got some wickets and got some runs. It didn't really matter. But uh, um, he decided to, yeah, have a, have, a game for the, have a game for the publicans, who presumably a lot of whom he must have been on quite good terms with. Because I think, he, I think he, he enjoyed his pint. But again, wonderful hard worker. And you think, I mean, he was still opening the bowling for Northamptonshire well into his 40s. And, and um, you know, you had a... Rather, rather ridiculous situation in 1922 when him and Thompson, who were both nearer 50 than 40, uh, were actually, you know, opening the bowling for Northamptonshire. It's uh, uh, my goodness how the how the game has changed. But he was a damn. I mean, he was an, again a, a local boy, that Daventry boy. There aren't, you know, not, not that many uh, county cricketers from that side of the county. Uh, a lot from. From Northampton, obviously, a lot from the sort of Wellingborough Kettering area, you know, uh, area of the town, but not that many from over over in the west. And um, uh, uh, you know, uh, a Daventry should be should be very very proud of him. They certainly should. And again, he was he was another key player, wasn't he, in that bowling attack? And in terms of his nickname, actually, Andrew, this is something which I couldn't actually find the origin of. But why was he called Bumper? Any particular I think... reason? I, no, I'd, I'd be honest, Aaron. I'm, I'm not. I wouldn't sort of put the mortgage on it. I think it was just because he was a, he was a fast bowler and he he liked to liked to bump them. But he was spotted um, while serving um, in in the army in South Africa, um, and they sort of uh, he was there when he was quite young in the the um, the Anglo Boer War, uh, eighteen ninety nine to nineteen oh two when he would have been eighteen nineteen. And he was spotted then, and uh, I think he was a you know, member of the North Aperture Committee was in in the army over there, and said you need to be having a look at him, and and they did, and uh, again he was a a key player, and he he ended his life in you know not in a not in a great um, great financial situation as with with East. I mean again it's this horrible. I'm sure with the other um, colleagues of mine that you've, you've spoken to for this series so many of the stories of these professionals don't have terribly happy endings um thompson because he was very careful and he, he was he got got a stick he was he was sort of you know, you know he's you know he'll have a bit salted away won't he and and uh, but he was a very careful very prudent man who in the end made enough to be you know to, to live fairly comfortably to the end of his days tom you know uh billy east definitely not he he finished up uh 
leaving his 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 widow with a you know sort of mortgage on the house and again lord lilford bless him um came up trumps and uh, organized an appeal so that they could uh, you know his his family could uh, have a little bit of uh, a bit of security in their lives and bumper world not long before he died in 1939 had to you know a, a, appeal for a, a a grant from the mcc benevolent fund and it, you know it was it was all a bit sad but uh, you just try and remember them as they were in their in their pomp on the field exactly and that to be honest is is what we try and do in this series because in when it comes to early county cricket i think one of the most tragic characters who actually died in northampton at an asylum was frank foster and yes. Frank Foster could have gone down as one of the greatest cricketers of all time. And I'm well aware that I'm very biased as a Warwickshire fan saying that. But his stats alone do, you know, show some testament to that. He was a ridiculously talented cricketer. He went on to play for England. Warwickshire legend, captain of the 1911 side at the age of just 22. So, again, a lot of these early professionals do have tragic ends to their careers. But it is important to remember their, their cricketing experiences and the legacies which they left on the club and for those guys the likes of east and wells they certainly did have an excellent impact on north Hans, not just in 1912 but over the course of their careers well and of course foster frank foster had a again has a role to play in the 1912 um championship because you know the, the match that really scuppered northamptonshire um was against warwickshire when they were absolutely pangoed by 300 and 303 runs i think something like that um and obviously you know frank foster was was warwickshire captain and that was the game that although you know if you well you can say well if it hadn't rained on august the 7th the dreaded august the 7th 1912 which we need to talk about um but you know northamptonshire the fact is that when they played the champions of the previous year they were absolutely hammered so um we you know we, we need to get a little bit of perspective and and um um it's like it's like um, you know 1965 when people still moan about Colin Ingleby McKenzie declaring against Worcestershire and to point out the fact that Keith Andrew did almost exactly the same thing. We had an agreement with Trevor Bailey um, when they Northampton played Essex and Northampton won that one. So you know, it's uh, selective history. It was written by the winners, isn't it? Yeah, it is unfortunately. But then again, I, I do think it's fascinating to bring up the history of the runners-up as well, because Northants definitely played their part over the course of this season. And just getting back on track to the campaign itself and looking at some of those performances, we've got up to the nine-wicket victory over Leicestershire at Wantage Road. Then there was a draw against Warwickshire, also at the county ground, followed by a four-wicket victory over Kent, which at the time was massive. Kent really were the tour de force. Yes in county cricket with the likes of Colin Blythe in that side. They were ridiculously talented, that Kent side. And then we've spoken about the innings and 137-run victory over Essex, which took place on the 18th of June. Smith taking 6 for 20 in the first innings. Thompson taking 6 for 20 in the second. So some nice symmetry there between the two strike bowlers for North Ants. And then a real key one, a defining moment of this season, Andrew. And I'd like to know if you could give me some more detail about this particular game. But the 240-run victory over Kent's in Tunbridge. Now, I've just mentioned that Kent were a tour de force in county cricket, very much part of the big six. They were multiple-time county championship winners in the early 1900s. And Northants not only beat them once, but twice in this yes. season. Just how big of a moment was that for a county like Northants, who seven years prior hadn't even been in the county championship? Just how momentous was that? to beat Kent twice. 
well yes and I, I mean we touched on it earlier that you know Colin Blythe had become a bit of a bogeyman for, for Northamptonshire, you know, 17 wickets in the day in 1907. And uh, there was always a fear, I think, as long as Blythe was in the side that Northamptonshire were going to struggle. I mean, that match, as you say, it's it's hard to say, well, you know, where did they where did it come from? But it was, um, I mean, Viles, again, made important runs um, in that match. Um, left Kent leading 402. And, and again, Smith and Thompson, they, they basically had absolutely, you know, no no prayer of, of getting them and it was it meant the double and it was you know the double against a a team that had humiliated them not once in 1907 but twice they they did them at northampton they did them at catford um so you know old scores were were being settled and at that point um you know let, let's say after that victory over kent northamptonshire were top of the table um and the cartoonists had an absolute field there they, i'm sure you, you must have picked some of these up but you know that the, the fact that the baby of the championship you have the wonderful picture of uh of like sort of tubby vials who had rather a sort of cherubic face um and uh he was he was uh you know the, the baby of the championship northamptonshire at the top of the ladder and there's all the old uh you know the, 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 the yorkshire and middlesex and kent and knots all down at the bottom and surrey saying oh you know come down at once and uh and uh, and, and Vile saying, no, I'm, you know, we're not going to. Well, eventually they 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 did because after that match at Tunbridge, of course, it was the, um, the 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 game at Bradford, which again was one of those extraordinary matches during the season that uh, Northamptonshire didn't win, but almost gained more credit out of not losing than than uh, than they would have done if they'd won. It was it was a an extraordinary match at, at Midsummer in 1912. It certainly was, and we do have to discuss the, the next kind of run of games, don't we, for North Ants after that monumental victory over Kent, because you mentioned that extraordinary draw against Yorkshire in Bradford. Then there was the draw against Derbyshire in Chesterfield. Funnily enough, Billy East took six for 58 in the first innings of that game, so he still had it, didn't he, at the age yeah. of 39-40. A bit like a certain cricketer by the name of Jimmy Anderson in the modern game, <laughs> still doing the, the business. But then they had the nine-wicket victory over Surrey at Wanted Road, which, Andrew, you mentioned earlier. Yeah. Thompson taking five for 36 as Surrey, who, again, were titans of county cricket at this mm. point, dismissed for 95 runs in yeah, the first innings. That's staggering. 86 for one to 95 all out. Thompson took five for naught in nine balls to, to help finish them off. And I mean, Thompson, you know, we're sort of talking about him you know, running through sides. But he was, if nothing else, and, and Gilbert Jessup wrote a, a fascinating article about um, uh, Thompson, which I, I quote at some length in the in, in the biography, because I think it's a really interesting insight into how he was viewed by you know, one of the, the greatest players of, 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 of the era. Uh, and he, his, his headline almost is, it's dogged that does it, and he was a great fighter. And in that game against Yorkshire, which, you know, was getting too much out of sequence, but um basically yorkshire made 241 for nine on the first day then it rained and the yorkshire attacked bold north aperture out for 74 and they had an hour and three quarters 105 minutes to survive in the second inning and they went in at 24 for seven and, and at five for four uh it looked very much as though they they could lose and um, be bowled out twice in a in, in a day and thompson batted an hour for one um to, to help <laughs> save the match and again viles um you know not not the dashing amateur it was again you know 
Viles who 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 helped to sort of you know, dog it out and uh, and save the day. And uh, it's a wonderful quote. Um, I'm just trying to remember. There's a wonderful quote that um, a, a lady was coming out of the ground and said it wasn't very exciting, was it? Because uh, you know Northampton Thompson had batted an hour for one before he was stumped. Funnily enough, um, but um, 24, 24 for seven. Um, on a on a appalling wet wicket against you know one of the best bowling attacks in the world as it would have been then. Uh, again, I, I mentioned earlier, Northampton derived a huge amount of credit and belief uh, out of that. Uh, but on the other side of the coin, when we sort of say, well, you know, Northampton probably deserved to win the championship that year. Let's think about that. You know, they were they were completely outplayed by Yorkshire. Yes, they they. Yeah, derived a, a, a good deal of credit from actually hanging on and for the draw, but you know, let's not forget they were they were they were hammered by the, the reigning champions Warwickshire, um, and they really struggled against against Yorkshire at Bradford, albeit managing to uh, to hang on. So um, that's one of those I I would love to have watched that last hour and three quarters of that match. Wouldn't it have been wonderful to watch George Thompson yeah. an hour one run, marvelous, proper cricket. Exactly. You've stolen the words right out of my mouth there, Andrew. Proper cricket. <laughs> Gives me flashbacks of Ollie Hannon Dolby last year, scoring one yes. from 66 <laughs> against right. Surrey. Very, yeah, very similar. At, at Bass, I was there for that. It's absolutely fantastic cricket. For those who haven't seen the compilation that Warwickshire did, hilarious. Great. It's just a load of leaves and four defences. It's some of the greatest <laughs> cricket you'll ever watch, but one run from an hour. Proper cricket over my dead body. Gritty, really tough, hard-fought stuff. From George Thompson. So again, that did deserve to mention Andrew. And something else, I suppose, that we do have to discuss is that loss to Warwickshire, because that followed on from an emphatic 10-wicket victory over Somerset's at Wantage Road, in which Bumper Wells took seven for 90. But this, this really was the key moment from the season, wasn't it? Aside from the 7th of August, which we shall discuss, it's the 303-run loss to Warwickshire at Edgebaston. And after some extraordinary performances, we mentioned the double over Kent's, that's almost great escape at times against Yorkshire and Bradford. This was the game which you could argue was another factor behind North Ants, unfortunately, finishing second in the county championship. So what yeah. can you tell me about this particular game? Because from what I've seen with the scorecard, it did seem as though North Ants massively outplayed in this particular fixture. They were. Um, the, the funny thing was, that the, the great irony of this particular match is that it started on St. Swithin's Day, uh, July the 15th. And, you know, we all know that the, the tradition that if it rains on St. Swithin's Day, it'll rain for, for 40 days. Um, and 1912, of course, was a very wet summer. And it's one of the reasons why Thompson and Smith were just so um, unplayable for much of the time that, 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 you know, uncovered pitches and, and they're very much in favour of the bowlers. But it started on, on uh, St. Swithin's Day and it was actually it was actually nice. The sun shone. Um, and Northamptonshire for once would actually have been quite happy probably if it had uh, if it had absolutely siled it down for for a couple of days. But um, I mean, they, they Warwickshire only made two hundred and forty seven, so it wasn't too bad. But then then you came that was on the Saturday, and then you came to to blank uh, to Black Monday, and it was Frank Foster and um, and, and uh, Frank Field that um, bowled Northamptonshire out for for fifty three, and and Foster just to rub things in, didn't enforce the follow-on. He could have done, but but opted not to and, and left Northamptonshire with a with a huge total to, to make. And it was only through, again, Thompson and Viles digging in that the match even went into a third day. 
and um, yeah, it was three. I've just got it in front of me here. Um, lost by 303 runs. Um, but I mean, I, I hate to mention this to a, to a Warwickshire man, but um, there, there was criticism of in the Northampton press anyway of, of the Birmingham crowd's unseemly barracking. Um, directed for some reason at Walter Boswell, Northampton's wicketkeeper, and I, I've no idea what Boswell might have done to upset the um, the Edgbaston faithful, but um, they gave him apparently some fearful stick. Um, he had his revenge because he actually made his only first-class hundred um, a couple of years after that against against Warwickshire. So he had he had a, a measure of measure of revenge. But why they got onto Boswell, I've no idea. But apparently they did. But it didn't matter because Warwickshire won, and as you say, in the context of the season, it was a, it was a very very significant result. It definitely was, and aside from that victory, well, for Warwickshire and the defeat for Northants, that was one of the key moments from the season. But Andrew, we have got to the point of the podcast where we do have to discuss the seventh of August. We have oh. alluded to it throughout today's episode, and in terms of Northants' history in the County Championship. It's an incredibly important date, isn't it? The 7th of August, 1912. So just to give some some background context behind this, after losing to Warwickshire, there was a draw against Yorkshire on home soil and then a pretty convincing 283-run victory over Somerset in Bath, in which Smith scored 136 and then followed up with 8 for 39. So safe to say he was in quite some form heading into this particular game. But the match in question was the Leicestershire game in Leicester itself. So, Andrew, what can you tell me about the events of this particular fixture? Well, you said, Aaron, quite rightly about um, Smith being in form, and he, he was certainly in form at, um, at Aylston Road as well, because um, they bowled Leicestershire out for not many, 96. Um, Smith got seven for 47, including a hat-trick. Um, and Viles and Thompson then, you know, again, sort of the, the, the same two. Gave Northamptonshire a, a, a decent lead. They were 64 ahead, five wickets in hand. Um, they got plenty of stick from the Leicestershire faithful as well, apparently, but there's no, but you just expect that. So that's, you can just gloss over that one. But they, it rained all day on the second day. And on the third day, um, play didn't get underway until four o'clock. Um, Viles declared with a lead of 115 and basically gave themselves. Two hours, just a hair over two hours to bowl Leicestershire out cheaply. And uh, they nipped three out early and they thought, you know, we, we, we could be on here. But time ran out. Leicestershire were, were 96 for six, still 19 behind. Um, and you say, well, an hour, possibly even half an hour might have been enough for, for Northamptonshire to, to finish them off. But it, it wasn't to be. Um, the match was drawn. And we ought to say at this point that why this is so significant is that the, the championship then was decided on on percentages it wasn't just points as it is now it was done on percentages um and lancashire were playing uh yorkshire at um at old trafford uh, and after two days i mean lancashire were, were all over um yorkshire like the proverbial cheap suit um, reggie spooner made a 100 lancashire three 347 all out yorkshire bowled out for 103 um and then Again, the rain came just when it, you know, North Aperture didn't need it. They started at half past three, um, and it was a very similar scenario. Um, Lancashire had two and a half hours to try and, and bowl Yorkshire out. They, they nipped a couple out early, um, but they got Yorkshire seven down, and unfortunately, that was it. Time ran out. 
Now, if those two matches had gone the way that they should have done, so Northampton should beat Leicestershire, which, you know, given any another extra half an hour, they probably would have done, and Lancashire beat Yorkshire again, with probably an extra half an hour they would have done, then that the impact on the percentages, you can't say that Northamptonshire would have won the championship had you know had it not rained on August the seventh, because there were obviously matches more matches to play and uh, it you know it, it's hypothetical. But uh, the mar the margin in the end between the two was such that had that match been those matches gone the way they should have done and all the other matches gone the way they did then Northamptonshire would have finished ahead of Yorkshire on, on percentages. But um, as I say, I, I think it, we get very hung up on that, and, and Northamptonshire people with a, with a sense of history do, because we've we probably have forgotten all about it if, if, if we'd actually won the, won the championship since. But because we haven't, um, it's, it's sort of something that still rankles a bit. But um, yeah, uh, the, the weather helped Northamptonshire quite a bit in that season, as we talked about the conditions and so on being absolutely tailor-made for Northamptonshire's bowling attack. But on that occasion, um, the weather was, was certainly not Northamptonshire's friend and could, let's say, have cost them the championship. Well, I think there definitely is room for debate, isn't there? Because, uh, as you said, if, if life would have panned out a little bit differently, we could be sat here talking about the 1912 County Championship victory for Northampton, but... Unfortunately, the weather did play spoil sport. And it wasn't just in that game, was it? We have to to mention that the final game of the season as well, after beating Sussex by 40 runs at Wantage Road and being Darvish by six wickets at the same venue. The final game of the season was also a somewhat rain-affected draw against Sussex down in Hastings. So yeah, it was an that's... unfortunate end to the season, wasn't it, for North Ants? But again... It was quite some season, wasn't it, for that group? We have to mention as well, Andrew, I can't believe I haven't mentioned this already, but there were only 12 players, weren't there, yes. over the course of the season? That's remarkable. Yeah, they, they, nine of the players um, played in every match. Um, and Viles, as you, as you mentioned earlier, missed a couple. And Smith was uh, was captain for those. Um, and the final place in the side tended to be between Fanny Walden, again, wonderful Northamptonshire sportsman, born in, in Wellingborough, um, England football international became a Test umpire and a stalwart of, of the Northampton cricket team for many years. Um, and uh, Dick Woolley, Claude Woolley, brother of Frank, uh, who again was still playing for Northamptonshire in the in the early thirties. Um, th those two basically shared the last place in the side. The only other player to play for Northamptonshire in nineteen twelve in first class cricket was Lawrence Holland, who played against from uh, um, uh, well, he was playing then from Desborough, but born in Yorkshire, uh, who played in the tour match against South Africa. Uh, and so North Aberdeen used 13 players in first-class cricket that year, but as, as you rightly say, only only 12 in the championship. Yes, they went down to Hastings. It, I don't think it would have made a lot of difference um, because Yorkshire had games in hand, um, and um, so yeah, I think the ship had pretty much sailed by then. But what a lovely place to finish the season! And, and in you know, in in passing, how sad it is that that uh, the beautiful old ground at Hastings, which was one of my absolute favourite venues. Um, used to love going down and watching matches there is is now a, a shopping centre. It's very, very sad. Um, but, yeah, Northamptonshire in the end, I mean, the, the, the table, if you look at it, um, they finished up with a, a percentage of 70.58. Of and, and all they could do then, because Yorkshire still had two games to play when Northamptonshire had finished, they just had to hope that some sort of miracle happened and, uh, and Yorkshire um, lost to Somerset and Sussex, which, given what we've talked about, um, it was probably not very, very, 
very likely. Um, and, and indeed, they did Yorkshire um, beat Somerset by an innings at Taunton, and and, uh, and that was that. But uh, um, it's hard. It, it's a funny one, isn't it? Because you think, well, if North Aberdeenshire hadn't won the championship this, that year, what would that have done? You know, it would have it would have been a, it would have set the bar incredibly high. They the club was not in a position; they couldn't go out and sort of do what counties tend to do now and go and buy you know and buy a few players from somewhere, you know, splash the cash. Northamptonshire weren't in a position to do that. Um, so, would the, the you know the the, the last couple of pre-war seasons have been very different? In the end, Northamptonshire was still a force in nineteen thirteen, less so in nineteen fourteen because Thompson was. Um, his body, as we mentioned earlier, was starting to protest a little bit, and he wasn't able to bowl a great deal that year. Um, but it would have set an incredibly high bar in what was Northampton's what eighth season in uh, in, in county championship cricket. Um, that said, it doesn't alter the fact that we would have <laughs> would have loved them to have to have done it. Not least for you know for Lilford, for Darnell, for Thompson, for Viles. For the other local heroes like Walden and Wells and Billy East, who were, you know, East especially coming towards the end of his career, um, but it wasn't to be, and we're still waiting, and it will happen, and I just hope I'm there to see it. Fingers crossed, you will be Andrew, because I've mentioned this on on the normal podcast with the review shows, for example. I've got a lot of respect for North Ants as a cricket club. I love going to Wantage Road. I was there for three of the four days last year in the championship it's a lovely venue and if you can go to wantage road this season get yourself down there always so friendly always so welcoming and it's just a lovely place to watch county cricket I've, well, i don't think I've, I've ever had a bad day in terms of the experience <laughs> warwickshire certainly have i watched warwickshire get hammered in t20 cricket there in 2019 but it's just a lovely place to to watch some county cricket isn't it well i, I was thinking and i'm i'm, I'm sure probably that the, the likes of, of, of my, my friend david griffin would have would have made this point as well john arlett in this wonderful phrase about the mythology of county cricket and how youngsters are, are brought up in it. And, you know, I, I've been watching county cricket at Northamptonshire at Wantage Road since 1972 when I was, um, I went there for the first time when I was uh, nine years old. And um, immediately when you start talking to the old boys that were there, you start hearing stories about Freddie Brown and Jock Livingston and Frank Tyson and then Colin Milburn and, and then you come into the you know the, the sort of the, the players who I the first players my first heroes the likes of Jim Watts and and, uh, and, and David Steele um, and you know when people talk about franchises and again without wishing to go back over the the whole um, structure thing you talk about franchises and and you know made up teams you you cannot graft centuries decades you know north Aperture's case i'm nearly pushing 150 years of cricket history onto a onto a franchise team with a made-up name um it's part of the warp you know the warp and weft of of english social history apart from anything else um i think county cricket is a wonderful microcosm of social history we've talked about amateur captains and you know the amateurs and professionals and there's so much there to to, to discuss um so yeah, it, it matters an awful lot to me. It matters an awful lot to to a lot of other people. And uh, if you come to Wantage Road this year, and come come up and say hello, we should be up in the Bronx. I certainly will. Yeah, you might get a little bit tired of the Warwickshire chat, but we'll, we'll see. Andrew, <laughs> never. We'll, see <laughs> well, that's the great thing, isn't it, about county cricket? 
It's the fact that we can have these conversations, these discussions, these almost what-if conversations, because you've just brought up a, a fantastic question there. What if Northampton would have won the championship in 1912? Because the previous summer was Warwickshire. Warwickshire were the first county outside of the traditional big six to lift the county championship. If Northampton would have gone on to replicate that, the status quo at the time would have been absolutely smashed, wouldn't it? If Yorkshire well, would have won. It would. And I mean, the other thing, and we haven't, we haven't mentioned this, is that the following year, 1913, Lord Hawke um, famously decided that um, in, in a move that some would say has echoes of, you know, a few things that have been happening recently, thinking that it came up with this plan that they should cut down the number of counties. Um, and Northamptonshire would have been one of those to go, despite the fact that uh, that they'd been second the, the previous year. Uh, and Thompson actually, um, you know, wrote wrote to the papers about this. And uh, he, he wasn't, I don't think he was terribly, wasn't an habitual letter writer to the press, George Thompson, but he did on this occasion. Um, but yeah, Lord Hawke decided that um, possibly one or two of the other counties were getting a bit above themselves. And Northamptonshire had put forward a few proposals and he took umbrage and, in the end, it was all smooth, you know, smoothed over. I think Lord Harris had a, a lot to do with, um, you know, pouring a bit of oil on troubled waters. But um, it could have been that Northamptonshire had won the county championship and then would have been booted out the following year. Now, that would have been a story. It definitely would have. And again, isn't it interesting, the butterfly effect of, of what could have happened? Mm -hmm. History would have been completely different. So it is an interesting question to ponder. Unfortunately for Northampton's fans, it wasn't the case, but... Again, the great thing about cricket, the championship is still here. By the end of 2023, who knows? You know, Ricardo Vasconcelos, Luke Proctor, Rob Keogh, they could be the next heroes of the next generation of, of Northamptonshire fans. So that is why county cricket is so special. And discussing legacy, Andrew, before we get on to the great legacy of this team, there are just a couple of names that we didn't mention when discussing the characters who I had to bring up because I think they're a fantastic testament to, again, the reasons why I find county cricket heritage fascinating. And that is the Denton Twins. Yes. Because although they may not have had the, the impact on the season which the likes of Thompson or Viles or Smith had, their legacy is still felt in one particular corner of Northamptonshire to the modern day. And I just found this absolutely remarkable. So what can you tell me about the Denton Twins as cricketers and oh, their legacy on the yeah, settlement of Rushton? Yeah, the Dentons, um, I mean, their father, George Denton, was was a, a shoe manufacturer. Obviously, um, Northamptonshire, let's say, is, is obviously a, a, you know, the, the, the county of, of boots and shoes and traditionally. But And Rushden is very much a, a boot and shoe town. And I, I, I speak with feeling because um, Rushden Town Cricket Club is, you could almost, from where I'm, where I'm sitting now, you could almost see it. It's, it's about a quarter of a mile away. Um, George Denton was was one of the great luminaries of, of radical Rushden, as it was known in the in, in the the nineteenth century, because it was it was his politics were fairly left of centre, I think, certainly by Victorian standards. Um, so Denton, uh, he had obviously sons, um, the twins, Jack and Billy, um, and one of their early games was at Trent Bridge, and apparently some somebody the story is that somebody popped into the press box and said, "Who are those?" boys wandering around the ground in in whites and they presumably thought that they were you know a couple of kids that had turned up in their in their whites to have a game on the outfield and they were the they were the denton twins who were who were, were playing um and yes they, and the, the, their families um their family rather started obviously a, a, a business of their own um which is still still running here in uh, here in rushton and the other person of course that we need to mention is is their brother 
Donald Denton, uh, who played a, a panful of games for Northamptonshire before the First World War. Now, people that with memories of the time who I've, I've spoken to and have, have read um, what they've said, they reckon that, that Don was possibly the best of the lot. Um, Billy Denton was, a, was a, a, a very solid batter, made a, a, a big double hundred against, uh, against Essex just before the, the First World War. Um, Jack Denton was a bit more of an all-rounder, bowled with a bit of medium pace, got took some some useful wickets, made some runs as well. But Don, I think, was a bit of a thoroughbred. He was he was a, as they all were at Wellingborough School, um, and he played uh, a handful of games just before 1914 when he was still at school. Um, he had a, a heavy season for Wellingborough in 1915. Um, joined the army, and in 1917, sadly lost part of a of a leg um, in the trenches, serving with the uh, uh, the West Kent Regiment, and wanted to play after the war. Um, and <laughs> extraordinary, Northamptonshire wrote, because they thought he was going to play against Lancashire uh, after the war, they, the Northamptonshire wrote to Lancashire and said, would it be all right if he has a runner? Because obviously it's not an injury that he's sustained during the match, so it would be you know, slightly against the, the laws of the game. And uh, the, the Lancashire captain said, "If he's if he's you know lost a leg in the trenches and wants to play cricket, he can have a thousand runners." As far as I'm concerned, and you know, it's all very, very sort of of the time. But he did play a, 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 a few games um, for Northamptonshire with an artificial leg, um, and with one of his brothers to to run for him, um, and was still playing club cricket. You know, many many years later, Captain Rushton. Because uh, they were all, you know, they all they all played for Rushden Town as well. As did H. E. Bates, incidentally, I must mention, who was uh, a great novelist, who was born round the corner from where I'm sitting, and uh, um, he was a, another great figure of, of well, he, great figure of literature, but also probably more importantly, a great figure of, of uh, Rushden cricket, who used to invite the Rushden team down when he when he moved to Kent to Little Charts, where uh, which of course became. Uh, if you like the setting for uh, Darling Buds of May and the, the Larkins, um, he used to invite a team down from Rushden to to, to to play his village team down in Kent. And um, I were talking to, to Dave, the late uh, David Roberts, whose uh, sons Andy and Tim both played for Northamptonshire. And um, David played for Rushden and he, he, he he said he had his first pint of beer with H.E. Bates at, at, at Little Chart. But anyway, the Dentons, yeah, a, a fascinating local family. I say they still have a business going in, in Northampton. There's still Dentons involved with it. And uh, um, again, it's part of this this legacy and, and the fact that there were so many great stories. And of course, Northamptonshire played at Rushden for 40-odd for years, 1924 to 1963. Um, and it's still a, a flourishing cricket club here. And the name of the Dentons is still remembered for cricketing reasons, commercial reasons, boot and shoe reasons. Um, and they were they were both very much part of, of that great team of 1912. They certainly were, Andrew. And again, I just thought that was a lovely, a lovely tie-in to the intrinsic connection between Northamptonshire and the shoemaking industry. I mean, look at the, the name of Northampton Town Football Club, the Cobblers. It's it's famous, it's renowned, isn't it, for for its shoemaking uh, legacy and and history is the county of Northampton. So I thought that was a lovely tie-in between the history of the county and the history of the county cricket club. And in in terms of the Denton brothers, as we mentioned, both twins, very, very similar in appearance. The fact that certain county players actually had 
quite uh, quite a few difficulties in terms of differentiating the two. And one of the great stats and one of the great little tidbits of, of county cricket trivia, in 1914, the Dentons opened the innings against Somerset, who also had a pair of twin brothers the opening their innings. The Rippons. Mm. Exactly. What a fantastic piece of information that is. Uh, <laughs> like, great. It's, it's great, isn't it? And in, in fact, you, you say it was uh, opposing opposing teams used to struggle to, to tell them apart. Uh, the scorers used to struggle to tell them apart. And there's a wonderful story of um, of them, you know, getting a huge a huge muddle about which one was which when they were batting together. And it was funnily enough, um, Herbert Chapman, who became a great figure, of course, in the history of Arsenal football, uh, who was manager of Northampton Town. Uh, and he used to deputise occasionally as a scorer. He'd keep very keen on his cricket, apparently. Um, and when Leo Bullimer couldn't do it, Herbert Chapman used to used to, to stand in for you know for perhaps a, a session or so, um, and apparently he could tell the difference between the two because he reckoned there was a slight difference in their footwork, and so it took Herbert Chapman, the, the great one of the great figures of Arsenal football, to tell the Denton twins apart. There's another great little connection for you. It certainly is, and I'm a fan of Arsenal, so Herbert Chapman, obviously well, a name synonymous with. A wonderful football club, a club which is actually doing very well in the Premier League for once oh. as well. So, yeah, that, again, it, it's lovely, isn't it, how how cricket ties into all these different facets of society and sport. And we mentioned it earlier, county cricket really is a part and parcel of the fabric of England and Wales. So it's just fascinating to uncover all of these stories. And, Andrew, in terms of the final question that I have for today's episode of the podcast, a real nice kind of concluding segment, I suppose, would be the legacy of this team. What, in your opinion, was the legacy of the team of 1912? Because, obviously, each of these guys, the 12 cricketers who appeared in that side, went on to have their own different legacies, whether that was in Rushton with the Dentons or whether that was in the game of cricket with the likes of Thompson, the likes of, of Woolley, who went on to play into the 1930s, for example. What, in your opinion, was the legacy that was left behind by the team of 1912? I think it's a difficult question to answer simply because within two years, obviously, you know, sadly, tragically, county cricket um, came to a, an end for four years. And after that, I mean, Northamptonshire were perhaps more fortunate than than most. And certainly uh, the, all of the, the 1912 side um, came through the war. The, the Denton twins were both prisoners of war. They were both captured in the, the last um, sort of German spring offensive in 1918. So they weren't prisoners for that long um, but obviously Thompson was very ill East was was struggling a bit by the, by 1914 and was in no position to, to carry on playing so it was I suppose as a team and, and Viles finished the following year because of injury so in a sense it was a bit of a last hurrah for, for as a team as you say that a lot of the others were still playing you know well after the first world war but you do feel that you know that 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 side because they everything seemed to chime together for them the conditions were right um there's a wonderful quote from viles about no inharmonious incident uh, affecting the season they they basically got on um so you know that that was a help um but i, I i'm not sure and this is this is perhaps not an easy thing to say but i'm not sure the legacy was actually that great collectively simply because within two years county cricket was it was the last thing on people's minds 
Um, a lot of the players, as I say, by the time cricket started again in 1919, um, were not the force they were or were not playing anymore. Um, and Northamptonshire had a, had a, you know, the, the interwar years were desperate for Northamptonshire. Um, very, very tough financially. Uh, very nearly dropped out of the championship in 1931. Um, a couple of crisis meetings, and if they'd gone slightly different way, then uh, you know Northampton should would have would have just dropped out of the county championship. So it was a very difficult time, uh, and it took probably the you know the advent of Freddie Brown and a bit more financial clout with British Timken getting involved after the, the Second World War, who basically bankrolled uh, that strong Northamptonshire side of the 1950s. It, it took until then, although some wonderful players played in you know in the interwar years, the, the Bakewells and Clarks and, and Valence Jupp and people like that. Um, so I don't think that the, the team had a had a huge legacy collectively. And I suppose it, if they had won the championship, it would have been almost one of the. the I hate to use the word freak because it, they, they were, as you said, we've discussed in the last. Um, hour and a half or so, a, a wonderful team of cricketers. Um, but I don't know. I just think it would have been, and I mentioned this earlier, an almost impossibly high bar if Northamptonshire had won it. That said, um, it would have been nice if they'd managed to um, win it at some point in the, the intervening 111 years. But um, everything comes to those who wait, my old nan used to say, so I'm hoping she was right. Fingers crossed, fingers crossed, Andrew, that that is the case because it has been a long wait, not just for for Northamptonshire, but obviously Somerset and Gloucestershire as well, the yes. three counties which unfortunately, as of 2023, haven't lifted the championship. But again, it is the beautiful thing about cricket. You never know what's going to happen. I think that's 2021. If you would have said Warwick should win the championship, I never would have guessed that, especially after the past few years. We got relegated in 2017. Fair enough, we went straight back up in 2018, but 2019... As a result of the difference, you know, the relegation structure, we stayed up, even though we finished ninth. And fast forward two years, we won the entire thing. So cricket's a funny game. It's the best sport on the planet for a reason, because it's so unpredictable. And who knows what's going to happen? 2023 might just be the year. Only time will tell. But again, Andrew, I've got to say, before we wrap up the episode, this really has been a fascinating conversation. You know, learning not just about the, the season itself, but learning about the characters, learning the... The, the personalities who shaped Northamptonshire's early history because from almost that, that rags to riches story, wasn't it? It was 1904 in the minor counties, 1905 making their debut in the championship proper. 1912, even though they finished agonisingly close and ultimately finished second, it was an incredible underdog story. And for the likes of Files, Thompson, Smith, the Dentons, Wells, Buswell, all of those 12 players... It's safe to say that although their legacy on the cricket field might have been cut short by the First World War, their legacies definitely do live on to the modern day. So I think that's a really, really lovely way to wrap up what's been an excellent episode of the podcast. And before we say our final goodbyes for the recording, Andrew, do you have anything to plug or promote? Any social media channels, websites, businesses, any of your books, for example? Do you want to give them a bit of a shout out? What I was going to say about the book is some of the the the, uh, the background um, revolves around the grounds, obviously that North Hampshire played on, and um, thanks to the um, uh, the ACS Association of Cricket Statisticians who uh, were involved with um, my Thompson book, um, the book about Northamptonshire grounds is coming out um, uh, in May, 
which uh, I, I've put together with the help of, uh, of some colleagues. And it tells the story of um, the county ground, obviously, Wantage Row, but also the various other grounds that Northamptonshire played on, including Rushden, and uh, we mentioned of the, the Dentons and uh, the race course, which, of course, was Northamptonshire's home ground before they moved to Wantage Road in 1886, around the corner from where George Thompson was born. Um, so that's an ACS book, and that's coming out in May. So if you're interested in Northamptonshire cricket, it might be worth having a squint at that one. Well, excellent, Andrew. And to be honest, I'll leave the links not just to your Twitter and your social media media channels in the in the podcast description below, but also the link to that George Thompson book for anybody interested. It's a fascinating read. It really is. So please feel free to check that out in your own time and maybe get yourself a copy. It's well worth it from the Cricket Connoisseur. But Andrew, that is a wonderful place to wrap up what's been a fascinating episode of the podcast. Thank you once again for coming on it's been an absolute pleasure you're always welcome back on in the future and to each and every single one of you wonderful listeners out there thank you very much for tuning in and as always guys we'll see you on the next one